Welcome to the Boiled Dow Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. And I'm Sam. Hey, Sam. Hey, Don. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm sitting over here recovering as hard as I possibly can. I I see the bead of sweat, but it's kind of hard to tell because you're so far away now. Yeah, we've got new recording equipment. I know, and we're kind of spread out, and we've got all these these boom mics and stuff. I mean, this is like, you really are an enthusiast, aren't you? I'm an enthusiast, and <laughs> it's... Uh... It's shown in my uh, wallet. <laughs> my wallet's a little bit lighter than it was before. Oh, well, maybe you can get some Bitcoin for this or something. <laughs> I hope so. Hey, you know, I heard of something recently. Uh, there, there was a discussion of a, uh, a new group name, and I want this group name so badly. We got to have it here in Greensboro. Ooh, a new. Let's start a new group. Other than the boiled owl, rebellion dogs. Rebellion dogs. Yes, we need the rebellion dogs group. (laughs) Don't you think? I mean, it's from the twelve and twelve. The the line is something like, "And rebellion dogs are every step." And I think we totally need the rebellion. It needs to be a YP group, too. Yeah. Yeah, totally YP, rebellion dogs. Rebellion dogs. That sounds dangerous. Well. I mean, it's like deliverance. That makes me think of the movie Deliverance (laughs) for some reason. It's going to be rough in there. Well, you know, so we'll hold it one of the clubhouses. Yeah, yeah, that's all all it takes. (laughs) I like rebellion dogs. That would be good. Well, Scott, you know. We were talking about boiled owl before. A lot of people don't know where the the boiled owl comes from. The big book. It does. From uh, he was boiled as an owl. I assume it's to be read that way. I'm I'm sure it is. (laughs) Absolutely, in your best Dickensian voice, if that was uh, close to it. (laughs) I I I like unusual group names. When I was in Florida, there was a group there that's called. The longest day of the year, and it meets at five thirty every day. And it's the longest. The day longest of the year. day of the year. So, and when I was new, it was every <laughs> single day was the longest day of yeah, the year. Trying totally. to live without alcohol. Ain't that the truth? And uh, in Wilmington, there's a group called Brain Damage Group, which I always thought I should join. Well, we have a guest. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Shandel. Hey, Shandel. So glad you joined us. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you finally introduced her, too, because she's been totally laughing at, at all of this. I, I mean, know you're just participating. Well, it's always weird, <laughs> but what are we going to do? Is... <laughs> I have. Have you got some coffee? This is the Boiled Owl Coffee Club. I do have some coffee. Thank you very much. Good. It's quite good. I, I'm coffeeless today, though, guys. I'm using, I'm drinking tea <laughs> out of my not vodka water bottle. I'm glad that that's labeled not vodka. It's great big letters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fantastic. And you know, there's a uh, there's a water bottle company or water company that's selling water now called Fred Water. And my service sponsor told me about finding this in New York when he was up there doing some service work. And it's in a flask-shaped bottle. It's a it's a plastic bottle of water 
with water written on it and everything, but it looks like a flask. And it's perfect for carrying around. It doesn't roll around, and you can just lay it down Sam, flat. Is, is this, I love it. Is this like running around sober wearing a Budweiser cap? Um, Isn't it a little bit like that? No, because there's no branding on there. <laughs> there's nothing about it. It's just a vessel. It says water. But it sure does look like... What's he drinking? <laughs> yeah, I haven't taken that one into a meeting yet, but I've totally brought the not vodka water bottle. <laughs> It'll raise some eyebrows. I got to admit, I, I'm a little concerned whenever... I, I keep it in my car and, and in the cup holder, and, and I'm like... Wondering when a cop's going to see me tip up my water bottle. Well, it'll look, it'll look just like it. Yeah. I mean, I used to have, I was, I'm a house painter. I guess when I was in my 20s and I was drinking, I had a water bottle in the summertime. You know, in the South, it gets hot. And so I had to have water with me during the day. And I would take, I took a uh, bottle of vodka that, what's the vodka that has the frosted glass I don't know. It was a beautiful. That was high end vodka. I yeah, it was yeah. That. I don't. That's why I saved the bottle. <laughs> Sounds a little <laughs> fancy for my blood. I don't know. <laughs> and so I'd put that in the freezer with water, and you know, get it just really cold right before work, and take it to work all day. And you know, <laughs> now not all painters are alcoholic, but almost all alcoholics have done a little painting. <laughs> and I, <laughs> That that might be where the reputation comes from, the alcoholic that painters are alcoholics. But uh, my boss said you cannot do that anymore. Quit bringing that vodka bottle to work with. It's only water. <laughs> Don, I, you just love stirring the pot. I got a little resentment. <laughs> <laughs> it's only water, but exactly, you're stirring the pot. And I think Sam, that's the reason you like that. Well, that's why I can recognize it in you. (laughs) I like stirring the pot, too. All right. Well, Shandel, let's talk talk to you for a moment. Let's talk recovery. Yeah, let's talk recovery (laughs) instead. When did you get sober? Um, Back in 2012, so I was 27. 27. Yes, um, but I first started going to meetings in 2009 when I was 24. Ah, it took a took a while for it to take. It did. What was it that when you decided that this was going to be it, this was going to be the path for me to quit drinking, what happened to you inside? Um, well there's like there's a little story that I tell because I don't remember, it's weird. I picked up a lot of starover chips. I don't remember picking up my last chip. Hmm. I don't remember what meaning it was. I don't know how I got there. I just know that I did. Were you drunk? Um, no, I don't think I was drunk. I just don't remember it. Wow. It's weird. Um, when was the last time you drank before you went to that meeting? I believe it was the night before. And I don't know if this was my last drunk or not, but like the the one that really sticks out in my mind that I really remember, I remember I was um, I was married at the time, and I was supposed to be sober, so I was hi- yeah. So I was I was I was supposed to be sober. So I was I was hiding my drinking from my husband, uh-huh. right? Um, and that was kind of new for me, hiding my drinking from from him because we used to drink together a lot. 
but I know I was I was driving around. I was drinking like I don't know that it was a Sparks, but it was some sort of Sparks like drink. You know, do you know what Sparks is? It's the energy drink with alcohol in it. Ooh, <laughs> instant party! I think yeah. that came out before. Out of control. Out of control. It sounds sounds like it would be really effective. <laughs> yeah, out of control. Um, but I thought it would be discreet. I thought I could uh-huh. just drive around and have it in my car, and it just looked like an energy drink. So I was driving around drinking the Sparks, and I don't know, like it just kind of hit me that I wasn't like I wasn't scared of dying anymore, and I hadn't been for a while. That I wasn't afraid to die. But I was really scared to keep living the way I was living. And it's not that I was scared of having lots of terrible consequences. I was more scared of like continuing to drink, but being able to show up for work. Like not losing a job, you know, but not having it together either. Just like that misery of living that secret, that double life, and just continuing on that way. And it was like... What, what do you mean you weren't scared to die? What do you mean you didn't care if you no. died from drinking is no. what you mean? No, I didn't care if I died at all. Yeah. No, I had actually spent some effort actively trying to die. The fact that I was afraid to continue the life that I was living, and it was almost like I could just see the years in front of me, the, the years turning into like decades, oh, and just God. being so miserable... You know, and, and maybe not ever having that like big, huge consequence, but just like the the misery of the day in and the day out. The long, slow death. Yes, exactly. The long, slow death. That's what I was afraid of. Definitely. And it's it's weird that I don't have a memory of picking up my last chip, but I just, I don't. Wow. Were you blacking out? Were you a blackout drinker? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Yeah. So when you were, uh, you know, the long, slow death mm-hmm. was, was present for you. Was that like in 2009 when you first started coming? Or did that come around after you realized, hey, I want to do things different, but not really or, or whatever? You know, what, what was that? Um, well, the moment that, I'm, that I was describing happened right before I picked up my final start over chip. Gotcha. Um, the very first time I ever went to an AA meeting, I really didn't want to lose my boyfriend. I really didn't. (laughs) And, you know, I was seeing that my, my drinking was ruining our relationship. And it's funny because that, that same year, 2009, I got very, very sick. I had something called acute interstitial pneumonitis. So I was in the hospital for about a month. I had like tubes in my lungs and they didn't know if I was going to pull through or even like how I got sick. Um, There's really nothing they could do other than put me on oxygen and give me steroids and like hope for the best. Um, And I think I did during that time in the hospital kind of have like a, like an echo of that moment. Where like I, I kind of realized like I don't I don't like living this life that I'm living, you know, all I do is go to bars every single night and drink until last call. <clears throat> Excuse me, and they have to kick me out. So like lying there reflecting, I I did have some of that. But I was out of the hospital like less than a week before I got drunk again. And I had gotten down to 117 pounds. I was really skinny. I was really sick. It did did not take long at all. 
But that boyfriend I was talking about not wanting to lose, like he really cared for me a lot when I was in the hospital. Like he, he like fed me ice chips and brushed my hair. So when I started to see what my drinking was doing to him, it was very hard for me to like look at that and to mm-hmm. see that. Was he wanting you to quit or was it just you were seeing it and thinking? Yeah, he, he didn't want me to drink. Uh-huh. He didn't want me to drink. He said I was like a different person when I drank. Uh-huh. Yeah. Real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh-huh. Yeah. But at that point, your your quitting wasn't for yourself and no. such. There was no bottom really hit, no, no, no true desire. So you drank. You started drinking again. I did. Yeah. So what happened the last time when it took, what do you think was really different? What did you do different? How did you quit? Something that I really identify with when people share, there's a lot of like acronyms for God. And the one that hits home the most with me is gift of desperation. The first time I heard that, I was like, whoa, that's what happened to me. I was just so desperate. You know, it's really difficult to describe the feeling. Um, Looking back, thinking about just how desperate I was, it's kind of like hard to think about. I know when I first started coming around, like, well, first of all, a sponsor was just handed to me. So I was going to meetings, and there's this sweet old lady named Ginger, and she she had been seeing me around off and on for years, and she was like, do you have a sponsor yet? I said, no. She's like, well, here, this woman's taking sponsees. She's going to be your sponsor. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so this woman, her name is Alex, she asked me, are you willing to go to any lengths to stay sober? And apparently I said yes. I don't even remember her asking me this. She told me later that she asked me that I said yes, but apparently I did. Remember you said yes. I <laughs> yeah. don't remember. Did I, re- did I really? Because I didn't know what that meant. I, yeah. I was just desperate. Like I didn't want to live that way anymore, and it just hurt so bad just like to my bones. And so, you know, she told me to do stuff, and I just did it. We started going through the book together, and we started going through the steps together, and – when I was asked to do something, I just did it. And what did you do when you wanted to drink? Um, I prayed, which was very foreign to me, yeah. very strange for me. I, I grew up in a very religious household, but I myself am not religious. And I had kind of, I, I really kind of had to wrestle with that for a long time. You know, because, like, I pronounced myself an atheist a really long time ago. And so when I first started praying again, I was like, am I, am I like, denying my true self? Am I going against some of my core beliefs? But I was just so desperate that I would try anything to not drink. If somebody who stayed sober and was actively sober, like, if I could see that she was sober and that her life was obviously better than mine— I was just willing to do it. So I started praying. That's it. I mean, that desperation, Mm -hmm. that was what it was with me when I came in. I don't have a clue what to do. I've tried Mm -hmm. everything in the world. I'm not going to, I can't continue to live like this. I'll tell me what to do. And I heard someone say in a meeting, you have to be willing to get sober somebody else's way. Absolutely. Yes. And that's what the that's where the giving up is. And that's not easy to do. I mean, I didn't 
I didn't want to do it when I did it. But, you know, and that's why a sponsor will sometimes say, remember you said you'd go to any links. Well, and doing it someone else's way doesn't mean that I'm, to me, it did not mean that I was giving up my core beliefs. I'm mm-hmm. also atheist. I identify as atheist as well. Uh, and, uh, and, and still it messes with people to hear that an atheist prays. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that... It messes with me. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I love that I got to educate my sponsor on this recently. The definition of atheist means that you don't believe in a god or gods. And I don't. I ascribe no human characteristics to whatever this higher power is. You believe in a higher power. I do believe in a higher power. Okay. Think of it kind of along the lines of the force, you know, gravity, whatever you want to yeah. call it. Uh, there is something that I am able to align with in, my, in the way I think and live. Something greater than yourself? Exactly. Okay, that's But it. is it, you know, is it the great grandfather in the sky who's granting yeah. my wishes? No. Uh, right. It's not the God that I grew up with. It's not the God that I hear people talk about. But there is something, there are lots of stuff that's greater than me. And there is this, this power that is that. And I do pray every morning. I hit my knees crawling out of bed. And I pray. And I pray throughout the day. So what about you, Shandle? How, what's your higher relationship with your higher power like now? So I no longer identify as an atheist. Um, I do believe in, in God, but I keep my definition as broad as I possibly can. And I, I don't like to assign human characteristics to my conception of a higher power. But my whole idea of, of a higher power kind of, the defining of it is in the lack of defining of it. Like I just want yeah. it to be as large as it can possibly be. And what was you? I don't. I forgot what your question was. Now I sort of started rambling. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, what, what you were saying made me think of the, the, the there's a Buddhist definition, or was, I guess it's Thich Nhat Han, mm-hmm. uh, who said that as soon as Dick Not Don. <laughs> <laughs> now, have I got to describe where that comes from? Dick Not Don. <laughs> no, let's leave them hanging. Go back and listen to a previous podcast. <laughs> That's what my wife calls me when I get too spiritual on her. Oh, that's and I'll, when you become a spiritual gas giant. When I become a spiritual <laughs> gas giant, I say, you know, this might be something where you just need to let go. And be, right. in, people that aren't in the program don't necessarily respond real well to uh, advice of that nature. <laughs> let go and accept the things you can't change. And it's like, thanks, Dick, not Don. So, so, Thich Nhat Hanh has an expression that as soon as you define God, then you've lost it. Right. Mm. Because as as soon as someone in meditation thinks that they have it and can clearly conceptualize and understand the exact nature of higher power— then you have put it in a box and you're at, and you're outside of it and you've lost it. Right. You can't you can't do it. That works for me. 
Yeah. Yeah, so I like the idea of the mystery. My experience has been, and I'm, I'm hearing it in yours, Shandle, and, and I've heard many other people share, that the longer that they have done this recovery, they've lived like this, the less important defining that higher power has been. Yeah. What's important to stay sober, and the reason I was asking is because we have to find a power greater than ourselves. My sponsor would say, there is a God and you're not it. (laughs) And that's what his point was, the you're not it part. (laughs) Yeah. And I had to get to the place where I don't have the answers and I don't have the solution. So what's your experience with that? Yeah, it's it's very much the same. Like, obviously, what I was doing was not working, um, and it was time for me to do it someone else's way. And initially, I just used the group as my higher power. You know, here's a group of people who are staying sober. You know, this group of people is more powerful than I am as an individual, and they're doing something that I'm not able to do on my own. And that was what I relied on initially. Mm-hmm. And that really is a powerful example just to, to, to look at. I mean, to walk into an, a group of Alcoholics Anonymous and look around the room. And, and, you know, I mean, it took me getting to know some folks to mm-hmm. believe that they were sober and happy. Right, but right. But to realize that, wow, here is a group of people who are able to do this thing that I can't do. And it's humbling. Yeah. yeah. It helped humble me. Heck yeah. I mean, I had all the answers before. Right. What happened to you as you got sober? Where did you, did everything just work out hunky-dory and you didn't have any problems or was there any bumps along no. the way? <laughs> um, You've been on a pink cloud for six years, haven't you? I haven't, actually. I never had that whole pink cloud experience. When I first got sober, I just wanted to die every single day initially. Wow. I would just call my sponsor and just be like, I really want to die. Um, <laughs> I would, you know, I would call her on a daily basis, and I think that it was uh, a little bit frightening for her. I feel like that would be a little frightening for anyone, but she handled it with grace. And she, you know, she just kept telling me to pray, and she was there for me every time I needed her to answer the phone. And I just kept kind of like putting one foot in front of the other. And eventually, like, I reached this point where I called my sponsor and I said, you know, I, I really still want to die, but I can't remember the last time I thought about drinking. So I guess this whole prayer thing's working. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then eventually I sought outside help mm-hmm. because I needed that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely been hiccups. When I first got sober, I was married to a man who smoked weed all day every day. And I had to kind of like navigate, well, am I going to stay in this relationship or is this going to, you know, hurt my, my sobriety? Like I I really, I had to figure that out kind of like right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. It wound up not being as hard as I thought it would be to kind of sever those ties. And it was definitely best for me to not be in that relationship. Um, But I've definitely dealt with all kinds of like financial insecurity not knowing what I want to do with my life, other failed relationships. I mean, life is going to happen. Yeah, that's just yeah. life. It, well, it, exactly. And 
just just because we get sober does not mean that we get like you know puppy dogs and unicorns all the time. Mm-hmm. Now sometimes they do come around, but it's infrequent. Uh, the thing that I've experienced I've experienced much of what you just discussed myself, and it's one of those things that my not drinking levels the playing field so that I'm able to deal with life the way that other people in this world who don't have alcoholism are able to deal with life. But frankly, I think I actually have a leg up on them too because I actually have this design for living Mm -hmm. that helps me get through those things as well as this huge network, this fellowship. Exactly. I never had the tools before to deal with life and life's challenges you know, I think it's in one of the stories in the back of the book. I can't remember which one it is, but they're talking about how it, it I think it's the one where she's like, she's young and she is drinking like at her parents' house. Like she falls asleep on the couch, drinking, watching lots of reruns. Does that sound familiar to you guys? Do you remember that story in the back of the book? I don't. Anyway, no. I think that's the one where she talks about how um, it seems like everybody else was born with like an instruction manual for life and yes. she just didn't get hers. Yes. That's how I've always that felt. Line. Yeah. My sponsor, Gary, used to say he always felt like he was dropped off in the middle of New York with a map of chicago right (laughs) yeah i love that that's good that's good shanda what's something that happened at some point along the way is there anything that's happened that's been like an epiphany moment or something that's where you've gone really found that you needed to dive deeper into the program in some way or some window opened up um I don't know about an epiphany moment, but there have definitely been times where I felt like I had to dig deeper. And I'm kind of going through one of those times right now, honestly. I've had a lot of struggles with depression, and I haven't wanted to leave the house. I haven't wanted to see my friends. I haven't wanted to go to meetings. I realized at some point that I had forgotten to pray for I don't even know how long. I guess usually what happens is the pain gets great enough that then I change. Because I'm pretty stubborn and I can put up with a lot of pain. And certain kinds of pain are are comfortable. Like it's easy to wallow in depression. It's comfortable. It's I've spent a lot of my life doing it. You know, it may not be good, but it's familiar to me. Yeah. So I, I really like I feel like I'm in a phase where I'm sort of learning how to how to get back in to like the, the meat of AA, like especially the fellowship and that human connection that's so important. And, you know, I, I I have a lot of work I need to do on my relationship with my higher power. I feel like there are times when pray, praying is so easy and so natural. And then there are other times when it feels more, like, stiff or forced. It kind of ebbs and flows for me. So, yeah, I guess I'm kind of going through, like, a – a transition period. So what are you doing to deal with that? What are you doing to deal with the comfortable pain? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I finally left my house for something other than work. (laughs) (laughs) So that was good. Um, And, you know, I finally just started reaching out to people. Well, you mean come here? 
No, to no, this. not today. Not today. <laughs> like, this would no. This was this was a couple weeks ago. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I've I've since gone other places, um, but I mean, really, I had just been like staying in my house and just sort of being in this like cave of isolation, self-imposed isolation. It's comfortable to isolate. Um, I had to break out of it. Like I had to start going to meetings again. I had to be around other alcoholics. And actually the second meeting that I went to was totally, the topic was like wallowing in self-pity. I was like, oh my, seriously? (laughs) (laughs) For real? Okay, I'm really glad I came here because I almost didn't. Um, And then also something that helps ground me is having a sponsee. Because I've still been meeting with her every week. So even if I haven't been doing any of the other things that I'm supposed to be doing, I've been meeting with her. And that is so tremendously helpful. And she actually, uh, she's the first person that I've gone through all 12 steps with. And now she's like free to sponsor women. So it's so exciting. That is. (laughs) I'm so excited. It is, but it's kind of sad too because then you lose the uh, that when I've gotten to that place with sponsees, it's fantastic, and then they go out and they get sponsees. But we don't meet as much anymore after that, and it's time to get a new sponsee. uh, Time to get a fresh one. Yeah, I got to get some fresh meat. Some fresh meat. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, I love that you that you said that uh, about your sponsee coming to your home uh, and how she's helped you because. You know, I don't think it really gets impressed enough upon, or maybe I just couldn't hear it, that sponsees really do help sponsors. Mm -hmm. It's not a one-way street. And I know from my experience that, you know, meeting with sponsees, working with others is the highlight of our day. Yeah. Um, That type of thing. They they really do help us so much. Uh, And calling people, too. That thing of... I don't want to call people because I don't want to disturb them is bullshit. <laughs> Give them the opportunity to choose whether or not you're disturbing them. Yeah. Make the phone call because there have been so many times that I've received that call and it has interrupted. It's been perfectly time and interrupted Sam in a little Sam fit. Right. Absolutely. I've had, like, I had a, a sponsee that I said, which is one thing I always say to a new sponsee is, you got to call me every day. And um, he did. It's the first time someone actually did. <laughs> he In how ca- many years? He called me, well, at I guess about 10 years at that point. Mm-hmm. I had people who would call kind of regularly, but not call every single day. Every single day in the afternoon he would call. And it was great because I would be at work. And the telephone would ring, and I would be in the middle of some battle with something I have absolutely no control over. <laughs> and, you know, tr- struggling to make something happen and talk to him. And, and by the end of it, I was going, oh, yeah, that's right. I need to let go right here. And I'm right in the middle of it and need to let go. And it was a telephone call from a sponsee that did it, and it, that always happens. I will get a telephone call. And it's what I need to hear. You know, it's the uh, the bell to remind me that I've got to let go. So sponsees really, really do help. You can't control whether you have a sponsee or not. But you can control going to meetings. Yeah. And another thing that's worked for me 
to keep me involved is by having a home group and then making a commitment with my home group. I don't have an option of going to my home group meeting. So all the other meetings is the way I've heard it put. All the other meetings are where I am able to take from AA, but my home group meeting is where I'm responsible to make AA happen on that day in Greensboro. Mm -hmm. And it's my responsibility to be there. That's really to protect me from myself so that I don't get to the place where I'll go, well, I feel good and I don't need a meeting and there's something really good on TV and, you know, I, and, you know, my wife needs me to do something and I don't need to go to a meeting. And then next thing you know, it's been two weeks. Well, that's not going to happen because I've got a home group meeting once a week that I've got to be there unless there's a, I'm traveling or there's a death in the family, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's been a really crucial thing for me. And I actually do that with two meetings. I have two meetings that I simply will not miss if I'm in town. And then I have um, a third meeting that I like to go to. And then I have a meeting with a sponsor. So with a sponsee, I mean, and those are the things that keep me sober and keep me involved in a, cause I would like to, I, there's a guy, Doug, who's been on the podcast and he likes to say, if you want to find out how many meetings you need to go to, to stay sober, you just cut back on meetings until you drink and then add one. <laughs> <laughs> we do have dark senses of humor. <laughs> yeah, it's true though. I, <laughs> I get you talking about the, um, the, the depression and how easy it is to stay at home. And I have, um, I've, cause I've been there. I've been there. One of the things that's happened for me is, you know, it waxes and wanes, but over the time in recovery, um, the depth, duration and frequency of those periods of depression have diminished greatly they hadn't gone away and you know i mean last fall i um or end of summer uh i was talking with my sponsor and i told him it's like listen i don't think i'm depressed but if someone were to be objectively looking at me they'd probably say i am and he said well why don't you go talk to someone mm -hmm. and so i went to my general practitioner and and said you know i want to talk to a therapist or a psychiatrist or, or, or some such. And, and uh, he was like, all right, so you want a gay guy? I'm like, yeah, he needs to be snarky too. And that's exactly what I got. <laughs> and great. so I started talking with this, uh, this therapist here in town and meeting with him once a week. And, you know, my concern was that, you know, I was on pain meds for, for my back at the time. And I had been on them for a year and I was concerned, you know, is this me or is this the medication? And so I really wasn't sure why I was there, but I was willing to be there. And I talked with him. And the thing that happened that is just that, that cosmic timing that was so perfect is that I had met with him enough times to have developed a relationship with him that when my grandmother, who I was incredibly close to, died in early November, I had him. I had that help to get through that time. And so in, uh, I think at the end of January is when we stopped meeting, you know, we talked some more and, and he was kind of like, I don't think you need me now, Sam, but keep my number. 
and that's where we are. That's good. That's, there's no, nothing wrong with getting outside help, and it's really the answer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a therapist that I'll go to if I, when, when I had a stroke and was going through that. I called my therapist and went for about three months, and it helped me out. It helped me deal with all the stuff that I just, you know, I, sometimes you, you just can't deal with all the stuff that life throws you. And you need outside help, and it's perfectly okay to get help outside of AA. And not just okay, but encouraged. Yeah, yeah, it Yeah, it talks about it in the literature. Yeah, it does. I can never remember what page it's on. Oh, Help you're not a big out. book thumper, are you? Help me out, man. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it talks about it in the literature. And also, it talks about um, Dr. Bob struggles with depression, mm-hmm. you know, and how he... He thought about drinking for what, the first year he was sober, I don't right? Remember. Right, like he still thought <laughs> about yeah, it. Yes, but, you know yeah, the, the obsession was not gone. Yeah, the obsession wasn't lifted right away, and That's people right. people think that they're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, if they think about drinking, and I'll I'll be like, well, one of our founders thought about it all the time his first year in recovery. Like it's okay. There's well, it's yeah. it's hard to sort out because alcohol is a depressant. Mm-hmm. And I remember, uh, I think it was about six weeks, maybe about, no, I think it was three weeks. I've been going to AA for three weeks. I hadn't been drinking for three weeks. I didn't go to a treatment center. I quit in the rooms. And at about three weeks, it was like, I think that I think it can be called a pink cloud. But what it was, one guy told me, he said, well, you realize this, you haven't had any alcohol in your body for three weeks. So you've removed this depressant, and everything was just lighter. I just, this impending doom lifted off of me from that. And it's amazing to me because I thought I was drinking at that. I was, I was drinking to, to deal with the impending doom, mm-hmm. and then to find out that, you know, the one thing that's holding me together is the thing that's killing me. Right. Yes. Yes, that's it. It's the subtle foe. <laughs> it's a subtle foe, yeah. and so it's useful to you know. Well, it's hard to sort out what is what is depression, what's chemical dependence, and all that. And and but after a period of time, it becomes clear, and you get outside help. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people are afraid to. There's still a lot of stigma around mental illness and. Mm-hmm. People think they're just not praying hard enough or they're just not going to enough meetings. Or like it's another failure. Yeah. And, you know, but surrender to win. It is important to talk about mental illness, though. Mm -hmm. Mental health, period. Yeah. In in recovery. Um, Because, you know, AA flat out says that we should cooperate with the medical community. And mental health care practitioners are not witch doctors. Right. You know, they are scientifically trained and, and it's it's science. And and so we know a lot more today than we did a yep. long time ago about mental health. And there are treatments that are available to us in so you know it's a broad variety of them. There's help there and it works. And we should we should seek it when we need it or if we think we need it. So what are you doing now to Work on your sobriety, Shandel. You're you said you're going to meetings, mm-hmm. and what else? 
um, praying more, reaching out more in my network. Mm-hmm. I just saw a good friend of mine a couple days ago. I, I hadn't seen her in probably two or three months. You know, I used to see her two times a week. Mm-hmm. And just being around other people in recovery to remind me that I'm not alone in my struggles. You know, like, I get to thinking that I'm the only one that feels this way. And, I mean, that's just another form of self-obsession. You know, yeah. that's that's another, you know, angle of, of selfishness. Um, you know, wallowing in the self-pity. I'm still just thinking about myself. Even if it's unfavorable, unflattering things about myself, I'm still just thinking about myself um and going to meetings and hear hearing other people share and reminding me that I'm not the only one who goes through these struggles and that I don't have to do it alone don't have to do it alone yeah you know a good friend of mine recently reminded me you never have to do any of this alone it really meant a lot to me that she said that Mm mm-hmm yep it's the community and I mean there's there's an enormous amount of help in the community. Someone told me recently, she thought that AA was good for extroverts, but it was was a real problem for introverts. Hmm. And now the truth is, I'm an extrovert. I'm an introvert. You're an introvert. Chandel sounds like introvert. Yeah. So what's your experience with that idea? Is it true that AA is not good for introverts? Because my hackles bristled. Let me go with this cough, cough, bullshit, cough. <laughs> um, I thought it sounded a little defensive of like somebody had told her that that was an introvert and was didn't want to didn't want to surrender to AA I, and do this. I AA disagree, stuff. and it's based on my experience. Is it uncomfortable for introverts? Hell yeah. Of course, it's, it's un- uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for extroverts. Exactly. It's uncomfortable, period. But yes, it is uncomfortable for introverts because, you know, and this is a definition of introversion that I got um, a few years into the program when I read another book that, like, when I read the Alcoholics Anonymous book, I'm like, oh, my God, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. I read The Introvert Advantage, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. And basically what it boiled down to is that my introversion means that for me to be around people takes energy, and an extrovert gets energy from being around people. Right. So I had to, to show up, and I, had, I, ha- I still have to find solitude. I have to have moments of solitude for me to recharge, which is a, uh, a love that a sponsee pointed out to me years ago that um, you know, there's a fine line between solitude and isolation. It's something that I have to pay attention to because my solitude can flip over into isolation. And that's not okay for me. But solitude is a must. Um, recently, within the past year or two, the best description I have heard of who I, uh, that describes me is I'm an outgoing introvert. <laughs> that's my experience with it. But I think it's utter bullshit that AA is bad for introverts. I'm an extrovert with an inferiority complex. <laughs> And a bit of megalomania. (laughs) Just a touch. Very much so. (laughs) What do you think, Shandell? What do you Um, think? Maybe it's a little bit harder for introverts. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say because I don't don't know about each individual struggle. 
I know that it is hard for me sometimes to go to a meeting. Um, I have a lot of anxiety. Sometimes just being in a room with that many people like sort of makes my skin crawl. But I always leave feeling better. Mm. It's 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 very very healthy for me to be around other people. It may be uncomfortable, but I think that it's very healthy and very necessary for me. I love that you said that. It, it, the obstacle of getting there is the crowd. Mm-hmm. But every time I feel better. Yep. And I think that may be the 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 bigger the the difference the big difference that that we introverts and you extroverts have is that you go anticipating and, and and looking forward to the crowd, and I'm not, except when I was first getting sober. Oh yeah, yeah. Now that and that didn't make a bit of difference. <laughs> I can get whether that. I was an extrovert or an introvert. It doesn't make a difference because one of the characteristics of alcoholics is they like to isolate yeah i mean just let give me a bottle of orange driver and let me hole up in my studio and leave me alone for a couple of years and i'll be happy you know <laughs> you and that damn orange driver <laughs> <laughs> you never had orange driver no i didn't either no. that's good <laughs> but you had spark it's, it's good that i didn't have it or it, it was or good orange driver is good <laughs> you had those newfangled drinks with caffeine in them spark <laughs> i had zima. Ooh. Oh, zima how long did that last like a year and a entirely half? too long <laughs> <laughs> well shandle thanks for being here but don't go anywhere okay and I want to recommend that you protect your head. Duck! I mean, ow! (laughs) It's time for our old-timers question. Who you calling an old-timer? I'm calling you an old-timer. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. No matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time, shunny boy. Oh, sunny boy now. (laughs) Shunny. Uh, if you want to ask a question, go to boiledowlaa.org. We have a question. All right. But it's one we made up, but that's okay. We do that, you know. Yeah. What's a sponsor? Why get one? That's from Fred in Albuquerque. We made him up, too. But we didn't make up the question. The question's a real question. It is a real question. What's a sponsor? That's a good question. I remember uh, the first time I asked someone to be my sponsor, I felt like, oh, my, I'm, I'm going to be asking this guy to be my sponsor. And it's like, it's kind of like asking someone to be my girlfriend. I mean, I, do, I, I don't <laughs> like this feeling, I, you know. And also, is he going to be telling me what to do? Uh, what, what is this deal? I don't, you know, I, I've, I was worried about it. Sometimes sponsors get appointed like you were saying Shandel mm-hmm. but uh, that didn't happen a sponsor is yeah running buddy <laughs> is the way I like <laughs> to think of it someone who has been through the steps is involved in AA and is there to answer questions and guide me through the steps um, at, at first not even that. I mean, that's true. But at first, it was really just somebody 
to answer questions, somebody I could talk to after the meeting, before the meeting, someone I could meet um, outside of AA. I, I went to lunch a lot with my first sponsor, and it kind of introduced me to all the parts of AA, introduced me to what AA is, what it's like to live sober outside of AA meetings. Uh, by going to, I remember I was at a lunch with my sponsor and his sponsor, and uh, his name was Richard. He was working this big business deal. He was a real estate developer, and he was developing this property, and he was working this deal with this guy and saying, when he, and you know, he said to me, he was all worked up, he was angry, he was good. He said to me that I had to do so-and-so, and I said, uh, and he paused, and he went, you know, I was wrong. I was wrong about that. <laughs> I, I'm wrong about that. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to talk to him about it. And I was like, going, what? <laughs> what just happened? I've never seen a man change his mind and admit the fault in the middle of his thinking like that. And modeling that kind of behavior was, it was like, that was a real lesson for me. Absolutely. Because uh, I can look at what I'm doing, examine it, and modify. Wasn't an option before. We had to look good before. Yeah. Always had had to to look good. And always had to look right. Yeah. Had to always be right. Um, So the sponsor is a guide. Ultimately, a sponsor was who I work the steps with. It's imperative in working the steps to have a sponsor because I can't, me working the steps by myself is me telling me what to do and making decisions and me making decisions about how I'm going to stay sober is not getting sober somebody else's way. That's what I, that's the way I lived when I was uh, drinking and it didn't work. I need outside help. I need a dispassionate voice. I need a dispassionate look at who I am and what I'm doing, and that's what my sponsor provides. He's not wrapped up in all my emotions, so he can see what's really going on with me in places that are completely invisible to me because I can't see it because I'm invested, you know. Mm. So it's really useful. Sponsor's essential. And... You ask somebody to be your sponsor. What I think is you ask some, you find somebody, you like what they have, you like the way they present themselves in AA meetings, the things they have to say. They're not angry. I don't want to get somebody who's angry because if somebody's really angry, you can tell then they're, they're not working the steps. <laughs> and you, you get somebody who has, you know, the expression is they have something that I want. I also, the second time that I got a sponsor, I got somebody who I knew was going to challenge me. I didn't want somebody who was just going to agree with everything I said. I wanted somebody who who I could tell was working the program and was at a higher level than me and was going to challenge me to, to raise to their level. What about you, Sam? Uh, for me, sponsorship... Um yeah, absolutely uh, integral to to my recovery. 
you know, when I first came in these rooms, my first sponsor, I, th- I think he may have been assigned to me, or maybe I asked him to be my sponsor because you were supposed to ask someone to be your sponsor. Um, but I wasn't even done drinking yet. I wasn't, I wasn't ready at all. And I remember having a resentment against him because he called me a pigeon. And, <laughs> um, and I also informed him that I was not going to call him every day, but email would work. And so that's what I did. Yeah, that, that didn't really work, and I, and I drank and, and, and went out and all that stuff. And, um, and then when you I know, came you back... You not somebody else's way exactly, were you? Well, I wasn't ready yet. <laughs> I still had some pickling to do. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, then when I came back, um, about uh, six months later or so, I, um, uh, I did not get a sponsor for the first eight months of my sobriety. But I did get a good group of friends that I uh, hung out with a lot uh, before and after meetings. Then I asked one Saturday morning at the men's meeting at Summit when it was upstairs, um, there was this guy who's still around uh, that I asked to, uh, to be my sponsor, and it took everything I had to screw up the courage to ask him to do that. And he said no, that he was full up. And recommended that I talk to one of his sponsees. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't. I, I, it took everything I had to ask him. And I was talking with that group of friends after a meeting that evening. And sitting beside me, my first sponsor, Tiffany, she said, well, I'll be your sponsor, Sam. I'll be your temporary sponsor, Sam. Because I was telling them the story and everything. And, and, uh, and she was my temporary sponsor for four years. <laughs> and I worked the steps with her, and, uh, and I got the results of this program. Uh, and I'd like to point out that you're gay. Yes, I am gay. <laughs> Which so. makes it okay to get a female sponsor. Indeed. I it can wouldn't have... be appropriate for me. Probably not, yeah. you know. But <laughs> um, that's an outside issue. <laughs> It is an outside issue, but it's important. I, it, I wanted it, to bring it, is it something up, up that is because just, I don't want somebody to, th- to think it's perfectly okay to get a. a yeah, it's it's generally recommended to uh, to stick with your own gender, or you know, I mean, things get a little different today. Thing things, I mean, we've 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 got uh, gender fluidity. We've got uh, uh, this this broad range of sexuality, um, and I think a better statement for today is do not ask to be your sponsor someone that you are attracted to. So for me, you know, at least for your first sponsor, um, I've had several men as my sponsor. And Mm -hmm. as a gay man, that was my biggest concern in the beginning too, Mm -hmm. was, oh my God, I'm going to fall in love with him. And one of the coolest things that happens is, I mean, I've had some hot sponsors as soon as they're my sponsor, it's the, that switch is flipped and it's gone. It's like, yeah, I, I love you to pieces and I don't want a thing to do with you in that way. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's good for heter- heterosexual, though, in a relationship. I, you know, like my wife wouldn't like it if I had a I know, I can imagine sponsor. so. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Um, but you know, there's also that thing of you know, could a uh, uh, could a twenty something uh, guy have a uh, uh, an eighty something female sponsor? 
Sure. Right. Why not? So, I mean, there's there's no mm-hmm. hard. There are no rules, rules, rules. <laughs> right. um, but here's the thing about sponsorship for me now. Okay. That's up to my higher power. And the way that I turn that over to my higher power today is I look for the, I mean, I've got a lot of relationships in the rooms now, so I'm not really having to look for uh, who's, who's working a program and all that. But that's one of the things that, that works out is, is, is look who, for who's working a program. Look who's happy. Look who appears to be living what they're sharing in the meetings. And my suggestion is to then go to that person and ask them who they think would be a good sponsor for me. That works. That gives an element of remove. Yeah, because <laughs> then my picker is, is out of the play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Channel, do you remember the question? <laughs> uh, yes. I, something about sponsorship. I don't, I don't even what, remember the exact question. What's a sponsor? Why get one? Okay, what's a sponsor and why get one? Um, for me, a sponsor is somebody who takes me through the steps. And the most important thing to me in a sponsor is somebody that's going to guide me through the steps utilizing their own experience. They're, they're not just like off the cuff giving me advice. Um, you know, they're actually telling me what they did and what worked for them and they're able to demonstrate the results, you know, just by continuing to be sober. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of obvious when somebody has had the promises come true for them. You know, it kind of shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, just using their own experience. And my sponsor, if, there's, if I'm having some kind of a problem where she doesn't have experience, she will actually recommend someone to talk mm-hmm. to. That, that could share in that experience. And I really, really respect that, that she's not just going to make some stuff up, you know, because that's, that's not what we're here to do. You know, we're not here to, like, give each other advice. You know, we're here to share our experience and what worked for us. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us today. Thank Absolutely. Thank you so much for it's having good. me. It's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you. Thank you. you. Duck! <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org or email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services.